you know, uh, the text begins, therefore, and I, I saw a meme earlier, I think it was last week, or, and the meme was, yes, pastor, we know what therefore means, so I'm not even going to say that, you know. But Peter is continuing this thought of, of hope and that it not only helps us to live through trials, but it also helps us to live like Jesus in the present. He tells us to set or place our hope fully on grace because our hope is often misplaced, as I've already mentioned. And there are many ways that we misplace our hope. Our hope is, when our hope is misplaced, living like Jesus is impossible. But, and this is our main point, when our hope is fully set on grace, we can live like Jesus. When our hope is fully set on grace, Peter says, we can live like Jesus. And he shows us how this works itself out. It works itself out in obedience, in holiness, by his blood, by the blood of Jesus. First in obedience, verses 13 through 14. Peter states that our minds must be ready. Uh, he doesn't mean the, the intellect in a narrow sense. The word translated mind means the understanding with its dispositions and, and plans. Peter is basically saying that our, our whole self needs to be prepared for to set our hope fully on the grace of Jesus. Our entire self is, is called to this obedience that he talks about. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. As you set your mind, as you set your self on the grace of Jesus Christ, calling our entire self to obedience. We are sons and daughters of the Father, and just like the Son, the one true Son, our older brother, Jesus, who is obedient, obedient even to death on the cross, we too are to live a life of obedience. We are to live in this obedience and not be conformed to the passions, Peter says, of our former ignorance. And this may sound kind of insulting, right? But it's an honest description of their former life and our former life apart from Christ. Their gods possessed great power, but not great virtue. The popular religions of the day, especially polytheism and emperor worship, demanded loyalty, but little more. The leading philosophical or ethical systems, Stoicism or Epicureanism, aimed to minimize pain and to realize substantial pleasures. They were ignorant of God and His standards and, and who He is and was. There are other previous passions as well laid out by New Testament writers, wealth, idolatry, sexual morality, power, influence, beauty, greed. But there aren't always just former passions as well. Peter's pointing those out for sure. But Paul, in his writing to Timothy, lists, says that our passions outside of our obedience to Christ can actually invade the church. Foolish controversies, quarrels about doctrine, evil suspicions of brothers and sisters, all these things are misplaced hope and make living like Jesus impossible. So Peter calls us to obedience, to live like our older brother Jesus as obedient children of our Heavenly Father. 
And he expounds on that obedience as holiness. But as you, as he who called you is holy, in verse 15, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. We are called to be holy, but what does that actually mean? We can see what it looks like for God to be holy. We think of God being set apart. God is holy other. He is beyond full comprehension and understanding, full of infinite goodness and righteousness and love. His holiness is something that is something we can experience, but is still, in a sense, beyond what we can comprehend. But what about us? What does it mean for us to be holy as I am holy? Well, the verb uh, that, we, that is translated as holiness can be consecrated or dedicated. Anything holy is kind of set apart, right? God set apart the Sabbath day and made it holy. God told Moses to have Israel set apart their firstborn as holy to the Lord. The priests and vessels in the tabernacle and temple were set apart or consecrated or holy to the Lord. And there are many more examples. And as we look at, at Scripture, these examples, particularly in the Old Testament, we see our spiritual, emotional, cognitive, and behavioral. The preparation involved for people to be sanctified or consecrated or made holy impacts their thoughts as they consider and think about encountering God or serving before God. It inquires them if they are preparing correctly to consider God's holiness and they're being set apart as holy to serve this holy God. It requires a physical activity. It requires an emotional response. Holiness is not some ethereal, spiritual, mind-in-the-clouds, disembodied reality. You know, when we think about holiness, we, I think we often think of this idea of like this kind of just something that can never be attained, can never be understood, can never, is kind of outside ourselves. But holiness is very earthy, physical, feet on the ground, and mind focused on the revelation of Jesus and living like him. So you see, Peter is helping us to connect these dots between Jesus and the Old Testament. Right, Leviticus 19, the Lord says, you shall be holy for I am holy. That's where he's quoting from. And the bulk of, of Leviticus 19, if you go and read through Leviticus 19, you are holy, you shall be holy for I am holy, the Lord says. The bulk of this kind of holiness that reflects God's holiness is thoroughly practical, social, and down to earth. Holiness in Leviticus 19 involves respect within the family and community, exclusive loyalty to Yahweh as God, proper treatment of sacrifices, economic generosity in agriculture, observing the commandments regarding social relationships, economic justice and employment rights, social compassion to the disabled, judicial integrity in the legal system, neighborly attitudes and behavior, loving one's neighbor as oneself, 
sexual integrity, rejection of practices connected with idolatrous uh, or occultic religion, no Ill ill treatment of ethnic minorities, but rather racial equality before the law, practical love for the alien as for oneself, commercial honesty in all trading transactions. When God says, be holy for I am holy, this is how he describes it. This is how he describes holiness. And all throughout that chapter runs the refrain, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. It's almost as if God is saying, your quality of life should reflect my character. This is what I require of you because this is what reflects me. This is what I would do if I lived like you. And that's exactly what happened in Jesus Christ. In the revelation of Jesus Christ, the God who said, you are holy. I am holy. Be holy as I am holy. Came and revealed himself. And he showed us and lived for us and taught us this is what I myself would do and what it means to be holy. That was what it would look like for Israel to be different from the nations, to be holy, to be set apart, to be consecrated. See, it wasn't just that they worshiped a different God, right? Every nation worshiped a different God. That wasn't strange and weird, right? Just because Israel worshiped this God called Yahweh was not a strange or weird phenomenon. Other people groups and nations worshiped other different gods. What was strange and different is that the people of God worshiped the one true God. And as they worshiped the one true God, they lived differently. They lived and behaved differently in every dimension of personal and social life than the nations around them. All of life is to be lived as holy or sacred or consecrated to the Lord. All of life, both inside the church, in the worship of the church, in the service of the church, but also outside of the church. Christians are called not to serve their stomachs or their hearts as we define it today or their sexual impulses. Christians are called to be faithful and to engage in good acts of service and deeds. Christians are told to submit to authority, even authority as bad as the Caesars, who Peter specifically will mention later on in his letter. They're to live respectfully with others and above all are to submit to God and to live for the Lord. Your life is not your own, Peter reminds us. You've been ransomed with the precious blood of Jesus. And so G Peter calls us to obedience as his children. He calls us to live this holiness, this lived out expression of who God is. And he says, 
Do this because your life is not your own. You've been ransomed with the precious blood of Jesus. Verses 18 through 21, this, Peter is showing us, is how a life of obedience lived out in holiness is possible. Right? In the, the gospel mystery of sanctification, which is written by 17th century Puritan Walter Marshall, the mystery of sanctification, according to Marshall, is that we are to rely on Christ for our holiness. Right? Our, our holiness isn't in and of ourselves. It's no different than if we try to become more holy in our own work than trying to pursue salvation by ourselves. Right? The Holy Spirit, God says, indwells in us and provides the power and the ability to become holy as I am holy. This requires the same thing that salvation does, faith. Faith is the means for both our justification, being made right with God, and our sanctification, being made holy. And Peter says that this holiness, this faith that allows us to become holy is in the fact that we've been ransomed, or as, been, as Paul puts it, been bought with a price by the precious blood of Jesus the lamb without spot or blemish. And because we have been ransomed, we are free to live according to the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. But our freedom is in the Lord. We belong to the Lord. He has, he has freed us from the evil masters that, that Peter talks about, our, uh, our previous passions and ignorance. He, he releases us from those things. He releases us from all the ways that, that Paul outlines in his, uh, in his letters in terms of uh, those things that so easily entangle us. He has redeemed us and freed us from our sin and every sin. Our freedom is in the Lord who has liberated us from our evil masters and adopted us as his children in his household where we live as his children. And we are assured that our status as redeemed children is not uh, an accident or an afterthought. Right? He, he goes on to, to tell us that, that we are to live as obedient children in this holiness out of this understanding that we have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And this is not a mistake. Right? It's not just a, an, an accident of chance. Peter wants to remind us and to encourage us that this life that we have in Christ Jesus that allows us to live as obedient and, and live in holiness before the Lord and before the world is not something that was just in a mistake. He assures us that our redemption has always been a part of the plan. Peter states that God foresaw and predestined the redemptive work of Jesus. Right? He was foreknown, Peter says, before the foundation of the world. 
but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. For the sake of you that he was writing to then, and for the sake of you now who are hearing his words. who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Peter starts with hope and he ends with hope. And the way that we live as obedient children in the holiness that God has called us to is in hope in Christ. It's not in our own strength. It's not in our own determination. It is in the hope of Jesus. And we are assured that that hope is ours. God foresaw and predestined the redemptive work of Jesus. For Jesus was chosen by God before the creation or foundation of the world. Then God accomplished his eternal plan so it was revealed in these last times for your sake. These are the last times, the times of Christ, when we await one last element of God's plan, the return of Christ. And all this, Peter says, is for your sake. We often focus on the grace revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and we rightly should since Jesus' completion of the plan of redemption brings us peace to God. But that's not the only perspective of grace. Peter says that grace, that the grace to come decisively affects the present. Right? He, is, he is using the grace of Jesus Christ in a way different than what we might typically understand the grace of Jesus, the grace that saves us through the work of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection Peter is focusing on a different aspect of grace that actually compels us and propels us and powers us for obedience and holiness. It's holiness by grace that Peter is, say, is pointing us to. Peter says that the grace to come decisively affects the present, that our hope in the grace to be revealed prepares us for the work that God has called us to today, the life that he has called us to live now, the promised return of Jesus motivates us to faithfulness now since we know that our labor is not in vain. When we believe in him, we live with him. Through him you believe in God, Peter says, who raised him from the dead and glorified him and so your faith and your hope are in God. Through Jesus, Peter says, we believe and have confidence in God. This hope is well-founded. It is well-set. It is not in vain. It is not misplaced because it rests on Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. He has redeemed us from an empty life. He has covered our sins. He has summoned us to holiness and given us reason to hope, even if we 
feel like strangers in a strange land. When our hope is fully set on grace, we can live like Jesus in obedience and holiness. And it's all by his blood. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that covers all of our sin. We thank you, Lord, for the grace of Jesus that not only has brought us salvation, but, Lord, is the, the, the power and the energy for a life lived as your children in holiness. Lord, we pray that we would fix our eyes on Jesus, and as we fix our eyes on him, the one who gave his life, who ransomed, who we were ransomed by his precious blood, Lord, that we would know and learn more and more what it means to live like Jesus in the hope of Jesus. We pray all this in the powerful and precious name of Jesus. Amen.